if you're able to, let's stand tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and uh, the message tonight is on clarity about communion, and uh, this is a word that is a Bible word, but it has been misunderstood by some religions, and tonight we want to look at this matter of the Lord's table and gathering together around it. And so if you have your Bible there or your outline, you can follow along there. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 14. The Bible says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for this evening, and I pray that you would bless your word as it goes out. Lord, help me as I stand here, Lord, to convey your truth. Lord, I pray that we would listen and that your Holy Spirit would teach us and that you would help us as we draw together as a, as a family, a body of Christ, Lord, to remember the great sacrifice of your dear Son. Now bless this time, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As you look at this passage and you consider why we came here tonight, specifically to partake of the Lord's table, I don't think there's any question in our minds that God wants us to remember His Son. And one of the ways that God wants us to remember His Son is through the Lord's table oftentimes called the Last Supper. The Bible describes in 1 Corinthians 11, just one chapter over in verse 24, the Bible says, When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. You know, many times we forget things, do we not? I think it's our human nature, we're prone to forget things. It's like the other day I saw a guy and he was asking a couple people around him, he says, uh, I, I can't seem to find my glasses, I, I, I need my glasses, and somebody said, they're, they're right up there. They're right on his head. Sometimes it's right in front of us, and we, we tend to not remember things where we put something. Uh, I'm getting to the age now that when I get out of my car, the first thing I do is I look for some reference point to where I park my car. Whether it's, uh, you know, on a certain level, we parked at the hospital yesterday, we were on the dolphin level. I can remember that, a losing football team. I can remember that. But uh, here's the thing is, is that in our lives, we are prone to forget things. Even those of us that have been saved now for whether it's a couple years, many years, I think sometimes we even forget what the Lord's done for us. Uh, things seem to fade out of our memory. And I think that God, of course, has given us His Word so that every time we read a passage like the one tonight, it brings us back to why we're here, the hope that we have what the Lord has done for us, because Jesus gave this ordinance to the church. We're the church of the living God. The Lord's given this one of two ordinances to the church, and it's almost as if 
the Lord, when he said, do this in remembrance of me, was really saying, I want you to do this so that you don't forget what I've done for you, what he's done for us. We just sang the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. And certainly he is deserving of that. And I think that I can easily say tonight that God is interested in our full attention being on him. I mentioned this morning in the life of Hannah in, in her house, how that because of Paniah, there was jealousy in that home. Can I tell you that when you study the word of God and you study God himself, that you find that God is a jealous God? The scriptures are clear about this jealousy that God has. It's a godly jealousy. It's just like parents oftentimes when it comes to their children, how that parents are jealous over their children. They are guarding their children. It's, it, it's almost like the Bible describes a pastor and how that a pastor is there to not only feed the flock, but to guard the flock. And it's a jealousy that we have. The Bible describes the Lord in Exodus 20 and verse 5. And the Bible says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. God is a jealous God. And God wants us to desire that our attention would be on Him. God says, I don't want you to think about them. I don't want you to worship them. I don't want you to serve them. I don't want your attention to be given to them. I want your full attention. God wants our full attention. And when you look at the passage tonight, and we see, look at verse 21 again, look at the strong language. And remember, Paul might have been the penman, but th these are God's words. And the Bible says, ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord, and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now, you know, when you read that, you think to yourselves, this is back in the first century. Why is the language so strong from the Lord to the, the immediate target, which would have been the church at Corinth? Now remember, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. That means even to us in 2018, Bible Baptist Church, that it's still applicable to us today. Why did God choose to have such strong language back in the first century? Well, back in the first century, if you study it out, not only biblically, but historically, there was much in the area of polytheism back in that day. Now, polytheism is the belief in many gods, many gods. When I look at the world that we have today and even some of the religions today, do you know that even polytheism is still prevalent in many of the religions of the world today? All the way in 2018. The worship of many gods, you see it characterized in religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Shintoism, tribal religions, not only in Africa, but also in the Americas. All of these religions and more all practice polytheism. Poly is many, theism is gods. They practice the belief in many gods. Now we know what the scriptures say, that I am the Lord, thou shalt serve me and no others. God wants our full attention, and in the first century, this was not the case. Now, you study it out, giving you a couple pictures here, but the first one I want you to see is what is known as the Parthenon. Uh, the, the, the Parthenon, and I think I must have misspelled it there, I did. The, the Parthenon is actually a building uh, that was built for one goddess, and that goddess was Athena. There you go. It was built for Athena. So this building, when you would go there, you would go in and you would worship the pagan god, Athena, goddess, and this building was erected, and that there's, you see the remains of it, for that one god. 
But notice the next building, not the, not the uh, Parthenon, but the Pantheon. This building was built for all gods and all goddesses. I had a friend that just went to this area. He's actually the one. This is a current picture that was just taken about a week ago. You can notice all the people there that are still going to this building. Now, many out of curiosity, but many for years would go there. Now, if you look at the word pantheon, the word there, if you divide that word in the middle, pan and theon. Theos, theon, is what? God. The word pan is actually a word that the derivative of it is pas, and it means many or all. So if you put those two together, it's a house to worship all gods. And in Paul's day, remember, God had done a work in many people's heart in this city in Corinth. And God was, was literally saving people out of a life of sin, out of a life of, of worshiping pagan gods unto the true and living God. Anybody else saved out of that kind of life? I know I was. And this what was going on was there was this worship that was taking place of these pagan gods in the first century. So Paul's instruction, and by the way, it's our instruction tonight, Paul's instruction to the saints in Corinth was that now that you are saved, now that you have put your faith in Christ, it is a sin for you as a Christian to go back to the pantheon and to worship those gods that you used to worship before you came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Would you say that is a true statement? Now think about that because oftentimes, you know, nowadays we don't, many of us don't have a wood statue. We don't have a, a statue made out of silver or gold. I know that when I was a child that there was a lot of statues in the church that I was in and people would worship those statues. They would pray towards those statues. And remember, God's attitude towards that is, I'm a jealous God. I want your attention. I want your love. I want you to worship me with your whole heart, with your body and soul and spirit. God says, I don't want you to give yourself. You're my child now. Don't go to the house of the pagan gods. I want you to come to me. Either worship me or worship them. He says, you cannot partake of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. That's what he's saying. Now, this was a real issue that was prevalent 2,000 years ago. Listen to this quote. It's a little long, but I think you'll understand, especially if you've read some of this in the Bible. But Charles Spurgeon was a man that had great wisdom. And here's what he said along these lines about these people that were polytheistic back in the days of Paul and people that are still polytheistic in their beliefs, Spurgeon said, false gods patiently endure the existence of other false gods. He says, Dagon can stand with Bel, and Bel can stand with Astaroth. How should stone and wood and silver be moved to indignation. But because God is the only living and true God, Dagon must fall before his ark, Bel must be broken, and Astaroth must be consumed with fire. You see, God is the only God that we should serve, that we should worship, that we should bow down to, and when somebody is truly saved, the Bible says this, you cannot, you cannot serve God and mammon. It doesn't happen, folks. It's like mixing oil and water. The two don't go together. Look what the Bible says when we see this happening in the New Testament. Look in your notes there in Acts 19. The Bible says, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Now, again, they just got saved. So they're showing what they were involved in, what they were a part of before they got saved. By the way, we all have a past. You know, when you look at the life of Richie Pistoia, it's easy to say, well, this or that. But look, I know I've got a long list of things in my past. 
And the Bible says people here in Acts 19, they came to know Christ as their Savior. And the Bible says here that they confessed. And they came showing their deeds. Now look what it says. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Now you can understand 50,000 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold out for how many pieces? 30. 50,000. I mean, folks, look, people don't do something like that unless there is a greater cause that would, that would bring about that desire. Hey, look, I want these things out of my life. That's the life I used to live. I don't live that life anymore. I've told the story before that uh, in my past that I, I had become a collector of, honestly, things that were, that were not anywhere near godly. They were worldly, they were humanistic. I had just, for whatever reason, they, they had become little tokens in my life. Just various things. And I, I remember, for whatever reason, as I was, I, I was starting to kind of understand a little bit more about the Lord, I, I took the time and I put them all in a box. And I put that box, I, I taped it up, I put it in my basement in our house, and I put it downstairs in the unfinished part, and I left it there. And I'll be honest with you, I forgot all about it. I was in a service one night at our church, and pastor wasn't even preaching on it. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, hey, you remember that box? And I, I thought, wow, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Has the Holy Spirit ever done that in your life? And I thought, you know, I haven't thought about that. And God impressed upon me, you need to get that box out of your life. It don't belong in your house. You're God's child now. None of that stuff should mean a thing to you anymore. And I thought, he's right. I came home, I went in there, I don't know if it was my wife, and we had a teenage girl at the time that was staying at her house. Somebody said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting rid of this. I think it was the girl that said it, and she saw me pulling stuff out of that box. And, you know, honestly, instead of just throwing the box, I, I, I didn't want somebody to open up the box thinking that they'd find a treasure someday. And so I took a black trash bag so that nobody could see that they would just think it was garbage. I opened up the box and I began to throw it in there. I wasn't looking at it going, oh, I like that. I remember that. Oh, I can't get rid of it. I can even keep that. I can get rid of this. No, I didn't do that. I just started grabbing, and I just, everything that was in there, I just threw it in that bag. That girl said to me, she's about, I don't know, 15 or 16. She's like, why are you getting rid of that stuff? I said, because it's not what the Lord would have for me. I got rid of it, folks. I didn't need those things in my life anymore. And Paul was trying to help these folks understand, as Amos said, can two walk together? except they be agreed. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of devils. You cannot partake of the Lord's cup and the cup of devils. They don't go together. And the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 6, ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says, listen, think about what you're doing. Now again, I guess we need to always remember that many of us, when we get saved, we need to be patient with new Christians. I'm glad somebody was patient with me. When I showed up at church, I had long, wavy hair. I had a car that, you, honestly, you couldn't hear yourself talk if you were anywhere near it. It was so loud. I had the wrong kind of music blaring. When I pulled into the church the first couple times, all the people would just stand at the door like that. <laughs> My wife could tell you. And boy, when, when God got a hold of my heart. But I'm glad that there were some people in our church that were patient with me. Folks, we're a work in progress. I've been saved 33 years and I'm still making mistakes. These people in Corinth, many of them... This was probably a six-year-old church. They were all babies. 
A lot of them were still sucking on the bottle. They were still trying to figure out how to get the bottle to their mouth. And so Paul's writing and he's using, God's given him some very strong language. So tonight, before we partake of the Lord's table, I want you to learn with me some lessons that God gives to these people in Corinth. Look at the first one. And I've talked a lot about it already. Notice the problem of idolatry. The problem of idolatry. Look at verse 14 again. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren. Notice, doesn't just say my brethren. My beloved brethren. Flee from what? Idolatry. Now, when I read those words, the word flee is a word that means to run away from to shun, to escape. You know, remember what Joseph did when she just kept asking him day after day, trying to wear him down? Listen, that coat didn't matter to him that much anymore, did it? I mean, it was a precious thing to him because his dad gave it to him, but he says, listen, that coat's not as important as my testimony for the Lord. He got out of there. The problem is many times what we do is we want to entertain things in our lives. We want to go through that box of things that we ought to get rid of and go, yeah, oh, look at that. I remember that. Oh, that was a great time. No, no, no. God says, I want you to flee, run away from, escape from idolatry. Idolatry is anything that comes between you and I and God. Anything that would keep you away from God. It may be a ritual, it may be a vice, but if you study it out in the time period historically called the Dark Ages, when, when you look at that and people began to worship what they called the patron saints, this is what I grew up in, some of you did too, the reason that this was going on, that people were worshiping statues and people were worshiping the patron saints is because the truth of God's word was being set aside. There was no longer somebody proclaiming the truth. They were setting it aside to worship these statues, these idols of their day. For instance, you've probably heard of a doctrine, and it is a true doctrine called Mariology. They literally believe that Mary was a part of the redemptive work of mankind. She was the co-redemptor. And many people still to this day pray to Mary. Now what you find is beyond the dark ages that when the time period came known as the Reformation. Now I can tell you and some of you do know this that the Reformation was a time that God began to work in people's hearts and the truth began to be lifted up and those people that got saved and those churches that were established during the Reformation, when you went into those churches, you know what you didn't see? Statues. You'd look around and it was almost like the church was bare. Because they were so used to the idol worship, the, wor the worshiping of the statues and what those statues represented. But those churches during the Reformation, they were fleeing idolatry. And so we find here that the problem in idolatry is that we need to depart from it, but notice secondly, not only do we need to depart, we need to discern the traps of idolatry. Because there are some. Look at verse 15. Paul says, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. Now Paul was talking to those in Corinth, and, and honestly, those that he was talking to, they thought that they were wise people. And that's why Paul actually uses this kind of tongue-in-cheek wording here. He says, judge ye. He's saying to them, and the word means to discern. I want you to, to discern. I want you to approve it. Paul's saying, look, I want you to, I want you to look into it, and t you tell me, am I speaking the truth or not? That's what he's saying to them. He says, judge ye what I'm saying. Now look at the Bible says in 1 John 5. Little children, keep yourselves from what? From idols. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God 
from idols to serve the living and true God. Folks, you can't turn to God in salvation and still hold on to your idols. You're either going to serve those idols, worship those idols, or you're going to turn to the living God. That's what Paul is saying to them here, that salvation is only of Jesus. Jesus said himself, I am the way. He left no doubt. I mean, everywhere that he went, people said, there's something different about this man. Never a man spake like this man. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah 48. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it, for how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. The glory that belongs to God is not our glory. It's not for the church. All glory belongs to God. Every last bit of it. And our love and our worship for the Lord should be something that comes from our hearts. So when we look at this, the reason that God allowed Paul to write this letter to those in Corinth. By the way, I'm just in one chapter tonight. If you ever want to study a book that will really help you to understand the day and hour that we're living in, it's the book we know as 1 Corinthians. Because just about every chapter, Paul is dealing with some issue with the church in Corinth. By the way, it just helps me understand that, that you know, I, it understands, I understand myself better when I look at it because so much of their life they were saved, but they were living in the flesh. They were carnal Christians. And so we see the, the problem of idolatry. What are we to do when it comes to idolatry? We are to depart from it and we are to discern. What is idolatry? The traps of idolatry. But notice secondly tonight, Paul brings us to the priority of the cup. As we think about the Lord's table tonight, the word here, the cup, it's meant to bring our focus back to the Lord. When we think about this matter of the cup, Jesus said, do this or this do in remembrance of me. You know why? Because it's all about him. It's not about us. The cup is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 16. The Bible says here in this verse, the cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? You see this cup, the cup of blessing which we bless, that's making reference to communion, the Lord's table. The cup reminds us that you and I, we are a purchased possession. We've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus was shed. Why? Because Jesus redeemed us. He bought us back with his own precious blood. The Bible says the church is what Jesus loved, and he purchased it, Acts 20, with his own blood, the Bible says. So when you think about the cup tonight, Notice as we, as we move towards the table, the meaning of the elements. Because the word communion, and I, I brought this up about a month ago, is the word koinonia. The word simply means this, a fellowship or an association. Tonight we come together to have communion, and as we come together, we come together as the family of God. We're united in Christ. We are known as the church that is Bible Baptist Church. Tonight, as we uncover what's on the table, the two things that you will see, first of all, is the cup. The cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Look in your notes there, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. The Bible says, After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Bible talks about that there cannot be the establishment of a New Testament without the death of the testator. Jesus is the one who gave his life so that we could have eternal life. And we see that Jesus is reminding us here that there's no longer, because of what he did, because of his redemptive work, listen now, that there is no longer any need 
for the sacrificing of innocent animals. The blood of bulls and goats, it cannot, by the way, it never did save us from our sins. Because that blood is tainted blood. Only the blood of the precious Lamb of God could save us from our sins. And so what Jesus is saying here is this cup is the New Testament. I'm establishing a New Testament. The Lord's instituting that testament in His blood. John said in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship, there it is, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from how much sin? All sin. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Aren't you thankful tonight? When you take the the elements tonight and you take that little cup of juice and you put it to your lips, it doesn't become the blood of Jesus. It symbolizes. As we taste that, we remember the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second element that you see tonight is the bread, which represents the body of Jesus Christ. The bread symbolizes His incarnation. He took upon Himself the form of man. Jesus never ceased to be God. He became man so that He could understand what we're going through, that He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet He was without sin. Jesus robed himself. He lived among men. The Bible records in John 6, 35, that as you think about his body representing the bread, notice, or the bread representing his body, that Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh unto me shall never hunger. You know, I, I, I was like a lot of people whenever I was lost, I tried what the world had to offer. Just be honest with you tonight. I tried many things and I found no lasting satisfaction in any of it. And there are still so many people that are just like I was. But when I found Jesus and I tasted of that bread, I allowed the Lord into my life. He satisfied my soul like nothing in this world ever could. Jesus said, he says, if you, if you take of this bread, you will never hunger again. Jesus' body was broken. His body was broken that we might be saved. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. when he had given thanks and break it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Folks, tonight, can I tell you that we cannot be distracted that the Lord's table, what it does is it, it brings us back, our attention to center on the Lord Jesus Christ, on His body and His blood. And we see the meaning of the elements, the cup and the bread. But notice, I also see the message of those elements. Go back to our passage in verse 17. Look at the Bible, says, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. We've all, listen, if you're saved tonight, you've been born into the family of God. This unity of what oftentimes the Bible calls being in Christ, this unity was not happening in Corinth. They, They were struggling, and the Bible describes, if you take the time to look here, in 1 Corinthians, you'll find that there were schisms in the church. There were divisions. Do you know that the devil loves to sow discord among the brethren? When there's, when there's things going on in the church, then God's work comes to a screeching halt. Nothing can be accomplished for the glory of God. Nothing of eternal value because there's problems, there's, there's divisions, there's fracturing Honestly, there's no unity. And here in this passage, what are we talking about? We're talking about the Lord's table. Now think about this. One of the problems, and he addresses it. 
is some of them were coming together for the Lord's table to eat. That's not the intention of the Lord's table. All attention should be on the Lord. It's not mealtime when you come to the Lord's table. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, look at it there. For first of all, he says, when, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. You know, Paul has to understand he had heard it, he had probably seen it. He says, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. Paul's saying to them, look, the Lord's table isn't about eating, it's about remembering Jesus. And tonight, we, like they are instructed, we are to partake of the altar with Christ. This is something for saved people. He said, beloved brethren, unsaved people do not partake of the Lord's table. This is something that he has given to the church, to the saved in Christ. It's our privilege tonight to partake of the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians 6, 17, look what he says. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He's one spirit. We're one in spirit and we're one in the Lord. So we need to understand the meaning of the elements, but there's a message behind those elements. And that is that we understand the priority of it is not on eating, the priority on the Lord's table is on remembering the Lord, remembering what Jesus has done for us. But I see a third thing tonight is the purpose of separation. You see, he's dealt with idolatry. And then he talked about the priority of the cup. Why have the Lord's table? What's it all about? What is involved? But then he mentions here in closing the purpose of separation. Now look at verse number 19. The Bible says, What say I then? That the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Here it is again. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of devils. You see, I find, first of all here, that he gives a warning against false worship. False worship. See, some of those converted, saved Gentiles, what were they doing? They were going back to pagan altars. They were going back into the Parthenon. They were going back to those places of worship where they worshiped those gods before they came to know the true and living God. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from what? The faith. Folks, look, the faith, as it's described in the Word of God, it was once delivered unto the saints, God has preserved it to our generation, and believe it or not, even in this day, people, when it comes to even the Lord's table, they are departing from the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And it's the truth that shall make you what? Free. Free. But some are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, some Sometimes I get around some Christians, I don't spend a lot of time on this, I just know it's true because the Bible says so, that demons, devils, do have power. Folks, the devil is alive and real. We can't pretend that we don't have an adversary because we do. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And we find here that there, there's a strict warning here against False worship. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 1, 
Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they be of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. How many of you think there's false prophets today? I see them just about every time we go out to knock doors. They're out there passing out their pamphlets. Again, I'm I'm not mean to them. If I get the opportunity, I try to talk to them about the Lord. But I'll tell you what I do do every time I go to one of those houses and one of those false literature things is on the door, guess what I do? I take it off the door. People say, I don't like it. You shouldn't do that. That's stealing. No, that's taking something that will damn a person's soul to hell and leaving something that will help them get to heaven someday. You could take that up with the Lord someday. Maybe I'm wrong about it, but I believe that's what the, the right thing to do is. Because there are many false prophets who are gone out in the world. Now, that wasn't just in the first century. That's in the 21st century. Boy, the days are getting darker, folks. But I can tell you this, God's still on the throne. And we see the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Now notice these words, let us. This is instruction to you and me. I mean, we can talk about all the false prophets we want. We can talk about all the people that are departing from the faith, all we want. But the Bible says here, let us cleanse ourselves. How are you with the Lord tonight? Is there something that would be, in God's eyes, considered idolatry in your life? Because you can't partake of this table and the table of devils. You can't mix with God and the things of this world. You've got to make up your mind. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve the devil? I don't know where you're at tonight, but the Bible says we need to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Many today are trying to somehow, through whatever means they can, they're trying to reach the masses of people. And, and they, say, they try to justify it. Listen, if we do this and we do this, we understand that it might be dipping the flag, it might be giving in here or there, or the word compromising. But look how many more people come. Look how many more that that come and hear the message that we have. And look, can I tell you tonight that our target is not to reach some demographic in this world. Our target is to focus on the Lord. What does God want? And can I tell you tonight, as I told somebody this afternoon, is our target is clearly defined in this book right here. We just need to follow God's word. And be careful that you and I aren't inviting some wrong spirit into our church. That's one of the things that God's given me as a pastor, is if I see somebody, uh, someone who would come in trying to bring some type of damnable heresy, some type of untruth, something that would hurt anyone here in this flock, I'm going to tell you something, with God's help and God's boldness, I'm going to see that person politely, kindly leave the premises. We're not going to invite the wrong spirits here to this church. Because God would not be honored and God's will would not be done in our lives. And we need to understand tonight this warning against false worship. But notice I see, secondly, a witness of a fervent Christian. Now look back in verse 21. We've read the verse a couple times. Hopefully you're getting familiar with. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the, the Lord's table and the table of devils. Verse 22, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than him? These new believers here in Corinth, they were being taught that you cannot have a divided loyalty. You're either with the Lord or you're not. There's no in-between. A divided loyalty You're either going to live for Jesus or you're not. And by the way, if you're going to live for the Lord, live all the way for the Lord. Be all there. Be all in. Don't be a part-time Christian. He saved you to serve Him. And the Bible says here, and by the way, I want you to, uh, you may have it there in your notes. Do you have that portion, 2 Corinthians chapter 6? Is that in your notes? Okay, I want you to look there. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked. Together with what? 
unbelievers. Now, I've talked about this before, that a yoke it was a, a, an agricultural instrument that they would use. They would put it on, oftentimes, uh, a, a yoke of oxen, and they would have these beasts of burden. And if you, you've ever been around, or maybe you had time, maybe years ago, you've spent some time on a farm, maybe you're familiar with it, the important thing wasn't the yoke. The important thing was the equality of those two animals. Because if you had one that was huge and, and very strong, but you had one that was weak, and they set out to plow, guess what they're going to do? They're going to plow in circles. Because the one that's strong is going to have his way, but the one that's weak can't keep up. And the Bible says here that in strength and in size, we need to make sure that we're not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, don't get me wrong, because there's enough in the Bible that helps us understand that we do need to reach out to those around us. We, listen, we are no better than the unsaved people. It's just by the grace of God that we're saved. But the Bible tells us that we need to make sure that we're not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I've seen homes where the wife is saved and the husband's not. It's a constant battle. She wants to go to church. He wants nothing to do with church. She loves God. He wants nothing to do with God. And the children are torn between. We had a family here today and my wife was telling me, I talked to them after church. They were, they were here today, and, 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 sh and my wife said, the, the husband, he, he doesn't want anything to do. Matter of fact, the young lady, she said, listen, don't, don't come to visit me because my dad won't let you in. Now, they were here today, praise the Lord. But, folks, listen, when you think about the Lord's table, he says here, the communion, we're coming together, it's a partnership. Are you getting this tonight? Isn't it interesting that, that he ties this all together with being unequally yoked? Look at the rest of 2 Corinthians 6. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship, there's the word again, communion, hath righteousness with unrighteousness. Now, remember what the Bible says, our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. The only reason we're righteous is because of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. And the Bible says, what, what communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Satan, or Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he with that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now look at the instructions. Wherefore, he said all that to say this, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith who? The Lord. And look at the rest of it. And touch not the unclean thing and I will I'll receive you. Do you know that you can affect those around you more by separating yourselves from them than rubbing elbows with them. People say, well, you know, how am I ever going to reach them? Oh, you, can, you can talk with them. You can fellowship to a point to witness to them, things like that. You can be a friend to them, but you don't have to go to the bar with them. You don't have to go hang out in places that God would never have one of his children to go. See, we, we need to see this tonight, that when it comes to partnership, this matter of being equal, not unequal, that we need to have friends and associates in our lives that will actually help us to come closer to the Lord than to go away from the Lord. This communion that we're talking about tonight, this fellowship, it's with brothers and sisters in Christ, those that have been saved. And in this fellowship, this table tonight, it should help us to focus on the Lord. This is meant to help us in our Christian life to take a step forward, not a step backwards. When, when we mix, 
what Paul's describing here as impure doctrine. With that which is pure, what does it do? It provokes the Lord to jealousy. God says, I don't want you to mix. If you're going to come together for a time of remembering my son, I want all your attention to be on him and not on eating, not on your idols. I don't want there to be problems between you. The Bible says here, are we stronger than him? Let me ask you, how do you answer that question? I know I'm not. You think about, do we think somehow that we can win? Certainly not. Would it be better if we, we chose in our lives, and, and I hope that you have made this decision, to give our hearts to the Lord? Surely. Because you cannot serve the Lord and take of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. So as we focus on the bread tonight and the juice, look, our hearts need to be totally focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. God's given us clarity in His Word. Let's make sure we're not distracted. And there's nothing in our hearts tonight. And as we come together tonight, it is simply to partake together with Christ the special time to remember every last thing that Jesus did for us. Would you bow your heads with me tonight with our heads bowed? How's your heart tonight? No one can answer that question but you. Is your heart right with the Lord? Is there something in your life that God would look at and say, that's an idol? That doesn't belong in your life? You spend more time focusing on that than you do on me. Certainly, if we come together to take the table in just a few minutes, if there's something that's distracting you and that has your attention and it's not the Lord, then I want to give you a few moments tonight to say, Lord, I want you to be at the center of my life. Let's take a few moments tonight. Lord, we thank you for this evening, and I pray that as we have a time of invitation, Lord, that, God, you would help us, Lord, to focus on you tonight. Our lives should be consumed with you. We're only here because of the life you've given to us, and we're on our way to heaven because of the eternal life that you have given to us. And tonight, may we be a thankful people. Lord, bless this simple invitation tonight in Jesus name would you stand with